And uh, we uh, were last time in Genesis chapter 1, the first five verses. And boy, we, we've got this Bible, the most printed, the most read, the most stolen book of all times. They estimate over 5 billion copies of the Bible have been printed. Look at the Old and New Testament. We have 788,258 words. And uh, it's 31,102 verses, 1,189 chapters, and 66 books. Translated in a complete Bible into 532 languages and over 2,883 partial translations of the, the Bible. These first 10 words that we read in the English, other languages, it has different variety of words. But this number one verse here in Genesis 1-1 is the most read words, many different languages, um, that man has ever read. Interesting, huh? That everybody in heaven or hell will have read those words in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. We start off here in the book of Genesis. That's the word meaning beginnings. There's a lot of beginnings for example, much more than this, but the beginning of creation, the beginning of man, the beginning of sin, the beginning of redemption, the beginning of faith. We come to this chapter 1, 630 words is it. And God tells us how he did the amazing, amazing job of creation. And uh, I guess... If you're going to go more than 230 words, you might as well go 600 billion words because I am sure this creation was amazing in all its intricacies that we don't know about now. Because, you know, even the 33 years Jesus lives on the earth, John writes, if we tried to write, put in writing all that Jesus said and did, all the books of the world could not contain it. Well, I sort of feel that way about these seven days of creation is that if we were just to get an a, a in-depth look on just one of these days, it would probably take a billion years to, to unravel it all and see all of its intricacies. So he just says it rather plainly, and we don't have answers. We just sort of scratch our heads and, and accept it. In the beginning, verse 1 there, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2, the earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. Now we see the third person of the Trinity active. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then in verse 3 through 5, the first day, then God said, let there be light. There was light. Now this wasn't the sun. The sun would be made later. So God created light and he created 24-hour day before he created uh, a system that would mimic that. And so God saw the light that it was good and God divided the light from the darkness and God called the light day and the darkness he called night. So evening and morning were the first day. So he sets the systems. Systems are, are getting set up. The way I picture it, you know, if somebody has a watch, the watch didn't create time. <laughs> the watch simply identifies time, Right? I mean, time didn't start when I built a watch or I made a watch or invented a clock. The clock was made and then it's mimicking what it sees in creation and it does it accurately and it realizes, wow, this creation is down to a nanosecond 
of uh, certainty. It, it is pretty astounding how precise our entire solar system is. And uh, it, it's on, on a second-by-second second, uh, intricacy uh, of setup. Well, we come to verse 6 through 8 here, the second day. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. So evening and morning were the second day. So there was a lot of water. We, we don't often picture it this way. But we have the light separated from darkness. And what's left over at this point is just a bunch of water everywhere. And God makes an atmosphere, a firmament between the two waters. So now there's this air, this space in between the two waters. One water down below that's eventually going to get put on planet Earth. But at this time, there was another water and, and most creation scientists think there was a canopy of water around us. And when you looked up at the sky, the entire sky, instead of being blue, there were no clouds, there was no rain at that time, they would have looked at the sky and saw the rainbow colors. That's always what they saw. So after the flood, when God made a little rainbow, it was just a little tiny snippet of a reminder of what things were like before the worldwide flood. So in the flood, the waters from above broke and came to earth. And then the waters that were under the earth, we're going to discover in chapter 2, it seems like there was a pressurized system on the whole planet. And it caused when the, probably the gravitational of the moon uh, came, like we have high tide and low tide, in the same way the gravitation of the moon caused the waters to come out like a sprinkler system and watered the whole ground every night. And rain didn't happen until the flood came on the days of Noah. So there was no rain. I hate rain. I know there's some people that love rain. I hate rain. I hate gray clouds. I love beautiful white fluffy clouds. Those are really beautiful. But to imagine to just see up and look at a sky all the time that's rainbow colored, that, that would be amazing. But, you know, familiarity brings content, huh? You know, it's hard for me when I see some of these beautiful pictures of these mountains in Switzerland or, you know, see a, a picture of even the desert, which is about as dead and dry as you can get. But still the beauty of it, 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 it sometimes I just try to think, you know, could I be an atheist and look at this right now and remain an atheist? Looking at these beautiful mountains, those beautiful waterfall or all of these amazing trees. I saw a picture of the day, and it was a picture of these trees, and I thought, oh, that's nice. And then they kept getting closer and closer, and there's this little tiny spot, like, looked like a little pebble at the bottom of this tree. And then it zoomed in, and it zoomed in. It was the sequoia trees. And that little dot was a person at the base of that tree. And I, I realized, oh, my gosh, we don't... I mean, imagine if our building right here, there was a giant sequoia. It would be bigger than our building. 
But then if it were just sticking straight up in the sky, you'd, you would be able to see it probably from San Diego, right? I don't know. That thing would just be monstrous. But yet when you see all these monstrous 2,000-year-old trees, you don't get the full appreciation of it until you realize there's a person by comparison next to it. It's a little tiny dot. Well, all of creation is amazing. And I think that our sinful hearts can't appreciate the depths of its beauty at times. And especially, again, if, you know, I, I lived by the ocean for a few years, and, and after a while, the ocean was just white noise, you know? You move away, and then you realize, oh, my gosh, you know, I wish I lived right next to the ocean again. That was such an amazing time. But unfortunately, familiarity breeds contempt, even if it's the most amazing, beautiful things ever. Well, that's day number two. Now we're going to go to the next day, or in verse nine, excuse me. And then God said, continuing on that second day, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And so it was. And God called the dry land earth and gathering together of the waters, he called seas. And God saw that it was good. So we're going to see in chapter 10, it actually talks about the continental drift when the lands begin to break apart. But before the flood, it appears that there were oceans on various sides of the land, but it appears that the land was all one giant mass. And, um, you know, right now about 70% of the earth is covered in water. I don't know if that was the case before the flood because uh, a lot of the waters were under the earth. Um, and they, they weren't necessarily seas. Well, then in verse 11 to 13, now we're going to go to the third day. And God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, and the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, which, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the third day. So we keep seeing that a day starts in the evening and ends in the morning, and that's the way it is in the Jewish culture to this day still. Um, you know, right now, um, this, this would be, as soon as sunset, it would be the beginning of Thursday. And it would continue to be Thursday till tomorrow evening. Then it would turn Friday in the evening time. But we do it different, don't we? Instead of going from darkness to light, we go from light to darkness. Uh, I do think there's a lesson in there from going darkness to light and ending the day in the light rather than ending the day in the darkness. But that's another point altogether. But it was good. It was all good, everything that God did. And, and notice there that after the lands appear, now the plants appear. And we see that each seed after its kind. Could you imagine a farmer if he got a bunch of, uh, I don't know, tomato seeds and he planted his field and then from this seed comes a tree. From this tree comes an orange tree. From this seed comes a stock of corn. From that seed, could you imagine him trying to plant a field? 
That would, would that be frustrating or that would be frustrating? It's like, man, I'm glad I have an orange tree, but I got an orange tree and an apple tree next to some corn, and I planted tomatoes. I don't even see any tomato plants. But the fact is, you have tomato seeds, you get what? Tomatoes, 100%. God made it after its kind, and it's a real huge blessing. And of course, spiritually, it's true as well. See, that's, that's the, the thing. Our, even our, our Constitution says, according to the God of nature and nature's God. Because, and this is one of the arguments when you compare religions. There's only one religion, Christianity, that is consistent with nature. All, all other religions, God wants you to do stuff and it's gotta, you've got to come out of nature. You know, you've got to, you know, cut your hair, shave your head and wear beads. You got to have a rug with you and lay it down five times a day and no matter what's going on and pray towards the east. And, you know, they're always asking you something that's, that's odd, dressing a certain way or eating a certain way or acting a certain way or, you know, having to climb up a mountain on your knees and bang a gong and, you know, uh, always, it's always some strange thing that's not common to man. But yet in Christianity, God doesn't ask you to do something weird, to dress differently, have a different haircut, to, to have this religious system where you've got to pray a certain time of day for at least an hour and repeat this prayer. Um, you know, you don't have to wear a bunch of beads and, and take a bead and count it. You know, Hari Hari Krishna Krishna Rama Rama, 90 times, uh, three times a day. He, it's just we're in the world and we, we're just we're exactly like the world as a human person just traveling through the day. But yet we're full of the spirit, so we're not of the world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. And while we're in the world, we're a light unto the world. We're a salt unto this earth. And so again here we we see that if we sow to the flesh, we'll reap of the flesh. Galatians 6 says, if we sow to the Spirit, we'll reach, reap, reap of the Spirit. And it's the same way in, in nature, and it's the same way in the spiritual world they're, they're, they meet. And that's why so many parables Jesus was able to give were right out of creation, right out of nature itself. Look at the sparrows. Look at a farmer. Look at a merchant, whatever it was. He could, he could just say it's exactly like that in the spiritual realm. But yet all of the religions, it's like, you won't find it at all like this in the natural world. But in this religious world, you know, everybody, all the Buddhist monks got to do it this way. You know, all the Mormons got to do it this way. You gotta, and it's like a bizarre thing. And just Satan's laughing and how stupid these guys are in doing so many ridiculous things to be right with God. And it's so contrary to nature. Well, you know, we, we sort of stop and ask the question here now. Uh, are we on, it says a day, and that was the third day. Is the day here he talking about a 24-hour day? The fact is, is the word yom can be Use like in any language day, back in my father's days, or uh, in my younger days. It can talk to, about a period of time. 
But it's interesting that if you go through the Bible, there's no other place in all the Old Testament where you question what a day is. (laughs) Everywhere else in the Old Testament, a day is a day. A 24-hour day. And if it's saying, back in the days of my fathers, we know it's not a day. I'm just saying there's no debate. The only debate about this word yom, whether it's a 24-hour day or not, is here. And, of course, as you go through the Bible and it talks about creation, it always refers to a 24-hour day. And, and the law, it says, hey, you as Jews have a seventh day because in the beginning God created the seventh day saying rest upon that day. It wasn't a billion years. Okay, now we need to rest for the next billion years. It was, they understood, a 24-hour period. So each commentary, if you would, throughout the Bible referring back to creation, it sees it as a 24-hour period. Now, it's, it's odd because, you know, in the, in the 1800s, um, with Darwin, you know, he comes up with this theory, which is still very, in my mind, uh, disproven itself over and over again. It definitely has not proven itself. All of a sudden, people wanting to be a part of the intellectual world in the college campuses and to be theologians had to start saying, we need to reconcile Uh, the Bible to what science is revealing to us. And they started coming up with all of these various theories. And um, to say, oh yeah, the earth is six million years or billion years old, whatever it is. And and the reality is, is this, is uh, back in the time of Luther and the Great Awakening, um, the big debate was they thought it was an offense to God that we would think it would take God six days. God can do it in in less than a second. And so this is not six days because that's an offense to God. God's all powerful. He just speaks it, it all happens in a nanosecond, you know? Um, And Martin Luther said, well, that's a good point. But the fact is, is, is God chose that. He could have chose six seconds. He could have chose six minutes. He could have chose 6,000 years. He could have chose anything he wanted. But this is what he did. This is what he chose. And so we need to learn of the nature of God and how he looks at six days and the seventh day and and how um, he created in in that way. And sure enough, the planet Earth and the rotation around the sun were set in that way. If we were on another planet, it might take us thousands of years to get around a sun. So one day would literally be like 10,000 years. How old are you? Well, I'm not even a day old yet. Um, how long have you been alive? Oh, 9,000 years. So it's, it's pretty cool when you think about it. Uh, a day is 24 hours is just about right. I'm tired of this day in 24 hours. Actually, it could be about 18 hours. I'd be happy with that. But 24 hours, I'm done with this day. I'm ready for the next. And uh, a week, seven days in a week, that's, that's fine. You know, that seems perfect. But this is what God has done. And um, I think people have really shown themselves to look very, very foolish to try to say they believe in the Bible, but yet they don't believe in the Bible. (laughs) 
I believe God did create it. I just think that uh, for the ancients' sake, he's told us that way, but it wasn't that way at all. Um, but, you know, for all you idiots out there, you bunch of uneducated dummies, yeah, you just read it the way it is. But as intellectuals, now we'll tell you what it really means. And they end up looking really foolish. And let me just tell you, I have not yet a person yet who's a theistic evolutionist. That's, they believe in evolution, but God started it. I have not met an evolutionist, a theistic evolutionist yet, that also has a hard time believing about a worldwide flood. They don't. And they also don't believe in, you just start going right on down the list. You know, Jonah being swallowed by a fish, Moses, you know, bringing his rod and, and the supernatural work of the Red Sea party and it had to have, be an earthquake or something. You know, they, 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 they don't accept any of the other miraculous works of God. So it's true. If you have a hard time with chapter one of the Bible, you'll have a hard time with the rest of the Bible. And I went to a university that literally believed everything the Bible said was wrong, except for Jesus dying and raising again. Outside of that, everything is suspect. Uh, and they had theories on top of theories to tell you why you couldn't trust the Bible. And uh, I told them, I, I don't, if I can't trust the Bible, it, it'd be like this. It'd be like, you're studying to be a mechanic, and I'm going to give you a mechanics book on how to fix your car. But yet I tell you, if it tells you this size bolt, it could be wrong. If it tells you to ratchet it down at this torque, it, it, it probably isn't right. And when it tells you to buy that kind of part, uh, chances are it won't be the right part. What would you do to that book? Would you use it? <laughs> or would you say, why would I want to frustrate myself out of that? I'll just figure it out on my own without reading a book. Here's how you do it. And then to find out the instructions was totally bogus. Why would I waste my time with that? So you're basically telling me the Bible is nothing but a big giant book of errors, but be a pastor and teach people what it says. Why would I do that? Why would I want to do that? It's ridiculous. And uh, again, the, the Bible has to be wrong if you believe it has errors, because the Bible says it's perfect without error. And so anyway, I, I, I think that if you look at the earth from the Bible standpoint, there's a little bit of variety on how you can look at the chronologic, different uh, chron chronologies, but uh, the various genealogies, I should say. But it's right between six and 10,000 years old. And uh, in the Jewish culture, they say 2021 here is the year 5,782. So it's almost 6,000 years uh, since Adam and Eve were made. And so that's a, a literal take a, a look at it. And, and it makes sense to me. And I'll just tell you right now, guys, if you haven't done this yet, go to Ken Ham's, uh, either his website or you can write on YouTube, type in the arguments for a young earth. And it will blow your mind. It's just like, how can any scientist not accept the truth of this? It's so blatantly clear and obvious. And so I do believe the day is a literal 24-hour day, but the sun wasn't made yet. Well, God... When God was making the big watch of our Milky Way galaxy, I picture it like of the back of a watch opening up. <laughs> and you look in this watch inside the mechanics of this 
watch, which is the Milky Way galaxy, you're looking at all these parts going, and the sun is one of the parts, and the moon's one of the parts, and you know the sun is 93 million miles away from our planet. You move it a tiny bit either direction. Move it a little bit closer, no life on planet because they're too hot. Move it just a tiny bit away, too cold, and life can't be on Earth. That 93 million miles away, the sun is from the Earth. We, we see nothing else like it. We see other planets, and they're either freezing cold, like Mars are incredibly hot, like Jupiter. You, you have one or the other. You don't, you, you don't have anything even close to uh, the dimensions of the temperature. The moon is 28,900 miles away. Again, you move that moon a little bit closer, the whole earth is covered in two miles of water all the time. You move that, move that moon away a little bit, I and mean, everything's just tidal wave after tidal wave if the moon's any closer. Move it away a little bit, there's not enough waves. And again, the earth is covered in water and it pollutes in a very short time because there's not enough movement of the water to keep the oceans from uh, being uh, impure. So again, you just think about it. That, that moon, exactly 28,000, a little under that, miles away, 93 million miles, the sun is away. And it's just unbelievably accurate and it stays right there. I mean, if it, you know, fell asleep at the will and that sun boom, just drifts a little bit closer, we're dead. Just drifts a little farther away, we're dead. If that moon comes, it's just, it's astounding to realize how exacting. And then you go to look at all the things that Ken Ham talks about on the young earth and you, you realize it, it's amazing that we are alive. The odds of us living, the oxygen, nitrogen level staying the, the way it is, and uh, the fact that all these juicy, wonderful fruits, we can eat them. You know, there's a lot of berries you can't eat. I mean, how, how torturous would that be if you saw all of these juicy fruits and you can't eat any of them, they're all poisonous to us? Wouldn't that be a torment? But it just so happens that juicy red apple, I mean, it's, it's got a cover on it. It's not plastic that's going to go into the ocean and destroy it. It's got a, it's got a bacterial cover on it that's also edible and is beautiful. It's not some plastic see-through thing. I got this package on this apple that just keeps all the bacteria out, keeps, keeps it fresh, but lets it continue to ripen. I mean, ha has man made a package anywhere, anything near that? Or you think of the package on an orange. Again, it's just, it's astounding keeps all the bacteria off, keeps everything juicy and fresh in there. You peel that thing off, it peels really easy and it keeps us away from the meat. And then you open that orange and, and God's already cut it up for us. You know, it's just, oh, thank you, God. Here's a little sliver, I'll eat it, a little bow thought here, I can share. You know, isn't that amazing? And you start, keep going right on through it. And, and um, there's nothing even near these things that are just astounding. 
And so if you look at uh, the young earth facts, you, you realize very quickly that um, there was a great designer with a great design and it did not create itself. Well, going on now to verse 14 to 19, looking at the sun, the moon, the stars on the fourth day, then God said, let there be lights in the firmament heavens and divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons, for days and for years. Guys, I'll just say right now to this present moment, that's exactly how we get time in our calendar is by the sun, the moon and the stars. This is exactly how we do it right now. There cannot be more of a scientific statement than that. Not that the Bible is a scientific book, it's pre-science. But you'll find no scientific fact, not theory, fact, contradicting the word of God. This is exactly how we get our times, our calendar. And he breaks it out. He could do that on every one of these. Could you imagine what that would be like? What did God do first? The sun? The moon? Maybe he made the moon first. Then he put the sun there. The first time it, it shot over to the moon and lit up. Or did he put all the, all the places, all the parts of the places, all the stars, and, and the entire Milky Way galaxy, put everything in its place. And then he, boom, in one minute, like turned the switch on, the electric switch on, and it all started working like the innards of a clock all at one second. I don't know. I've seen artists. Have you seen this? Where some guy, he's got a piece of paper and he covers it all in black and then he puts some green on it and some red on it and brush and then he gets a sponge and then he gets a pencil. Then he, you know, and you're like, what are you doing? And it's just a bunch of blah on this page. And then, and then all of a sudden he starts drawing this. Oh, he's drawing a mountain. Oh, there's the river. Oh, and then he's done, and it's a lady holding a baby in a, a rocking chair. And you're like, oh my gosh, he blew my mind. It's just like the most amazing picture. I guarantee you, we, if we could have just sat back and watched God create all of these stars and all these planets, we would have been like, what? What? I don't, I don't. It would have just blown our mind. And then when he just, you know, clicks the first domino. Have you ever seen those kind of things where these guys, I mean, they'll do it like the size of a football field, put dominoes and all kinds of stuff. They click, 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 click. It's beautiful. It's amazing. I do not have that kind of patience. I mean, after four dominoes, I'm knocking them down. I'm, I'm out of here. But it's amazing. And, you know, God clicked that first domino and time started and, you know, the sun starts moving and the moon starts moving and the the whole solar system starts, you know, get a little oil. The whole solar system now is working. I think we would have been astounded. Boy, you see so many verses about this in the Bible. Isaiah 48 verse 13 Indeed, my hand has laid the foundation of the earth and my right hand has stretched out the heavens when I call to them. They stand up together. In Isaiah 40, verse 12, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, measured the heavens with the span. There is God's hand spans the universe. Literally, God could take the entire universe and hold it like a group of marbles in his hand. Calculate the dust of the earth in measure. They say it's about 10 to the 25th power pieces of sand on our Earth's planet. Crazy, isn't it? You know what else? They estimate 10 to the 25th power stars 
in our universe. Isn't that crazy? The sand and the stars they estimate being about the same amount. So God God's doesn't cease to amaze me. He weighs the mountains and the scales and the hills and the balance. Psalms 19, oh, there's so many psalms. Just Google psalms about creation. It will bless you to no end. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech. Night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. And them he has set a tabernacle for the sun. I love that. The sun's like a tabernacle, which is like a bridegroom coming out of the chamber when the sun starts showing. It's like a joyful thing. Rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of the earth, its circuit to the other end. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. Well, in Genesis chapter 1, now verse 20 to 23, then God said that the waters abound with the abundance of living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. There we go. We got our first creature made. And God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abound according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the sea and let the birds multiply the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Did you guys see recently, it just came out, it's a new one on YouTube. This girl's out on this big, uh, not a surfboard, but like a, what are those things called? Those big boards, selling board or whatever, paddleboard. There it is. And the well, it's the time of the wells. I think this was in uh, Hawaii area. And the wells are coming up and the peoples are on the boats watching the wells. But this well comes up to her right next to her on the paddleboard. And she's like, ah, and it just stays right there. And she reaches over and pats it. And then it happily moves away. It just wanted to be petted. This giant well. God's amazing, isn't he? Just, you know, you look in the face of a little puppy or you smell the breath of a little kitten. <laughs> it's, it's amazing to me. I, I might add here that the birds are created before the mammals. But according to evolution, birds don't start flying until many, many billions of years into the evolutionary cycle, right? You know, the fish, I, I love that, uh, that uh, Lawson uh, comic strip where these fish are playing baseball and one of them hits the ball out onto the sand and it says, which one of you guys gonna go get it? And he says, the beginning of evolution. You know, it's a fish going to get the baseball out of the, on the beach. But um, so anyway, this is opposite. So people like to say theistic evolution. Oh, yeah, I just followed the Bible, but I look at evolution. Well, this messes it up because the birds are before the mammals, so it doesn't follow uh, evolution whatsoever. But once again, each according to its kind. God easily could have said, and each of these various kinds evolved into other creatures. You see how simple I said that? 
He makes it very clear. It's almost like he's emphatic in Genesis 1. There was no evolution going on. Each plant after its own kind. And he keeps saying it over its own kind, over its own kind. Repeats it over and over again. Well, verse 24, now to verse 25. Now we see the land creatures. And then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creatures according to its kind. There it is. Cattle and creeping things and the beasts of the earth, each according to its kind. It seems like he's making a point here. Like you bunch of evolutionists out there, according to its kind. (laughs) And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. You know what's interesting is, is they, there's also a thing you can see, look on YouTube, you can put in there, new creatures discovered. It, it's a, there's a mass of them on land and in the ocean. In these last couple of years, this COVID years, it's been amazing how many new creatures they have discovered. Which it tells me, so God doesn't need evolution. He can think up crazy ideas without things evolving. And he did. It's like he created so many crazy things. He doesn't need any help. He, he can come up with all he wants. And he could have kept creating for six million years if he wanted. It would have been no strain on him. Well, finishing up here. Verse 26 here to 28, and God said, let us make man in our own image, according to our own likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth that's over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. That's when the Democrats were made. No, I'm kidding. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And it was so. And God said, see, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is in the face of all the earth, every tree whose fruit yields seed, To you it shall be for food, also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life. I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. They were vegetarians till after Genesis 9, after the flood, they started eating meat. But the first several thousand years of man, were they were all vegetarians. And God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So evening and morning was the sixth day. And uh, we're going to look more at this in chapter 2, the sixth day and man being created in God's image and how uniquely he made man. And he made man a spirit, um, not just a, a physical and soulish being like so many creatures. Well, let's end right there. Is there any questions or comments anybody has? Yes. Well, he he has the 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 chapter one overview. And then chapter two is going to go into the detail of that sixth day. And on that sixth day, we will learn later. I mean, it's just like the day he made the sun and the stars. Maybe he made the sun at the beginning of the day 
and he made the moon at the end of the day. We, we don't know, but it's not like because he didn't make them at the same time, there's some error in the Bible. You know what I'm saying? By the end of that day, he did create them both. So in the same way with Adam and Eve, by the end of the sixth day, they're both created. But he doesn't create them at the same moment. No, he creates Adam and then Adam has some chores to do. And after Adam's done with those chores, then God makes the woman. So he understands exactly who the woman is and, and, and she understands who she is and understands their role together as spiritual beings. Good question. Any other questions? Any other thoughts? Yes. A thousand years of the day, yeah. Yeah, no, no, it's not saying that because, you know, when God makes a truth, it, the truth is true to him as well as to others. It, it's not true to us only and not true to God. So all, all that's saying is, is that, okay, let's say you have two lines here. This top line is the eternal God, okay? There's no time for him. He can see the, the past. He can see the present. He can see the future all equally. He's not limited. But now he created time. He's not restrained by that time now. Just like he's not restrained by the space. He created space, but he's not, he's not limited. So even though we're limited by time, the past is over for us. The present is here. The future's not yet come. We are limited by that, and, and we're seeing that. I mean, if you're in line at a grocery store, that five minutes feels a whole lot longer than if you're doing something for five minutes that you really enjoy, you know, uh, riding a bike or going for a jog. I love that. Five minutes, it's nothing, you know. It seems like it just went by in a second. So what he's trying to say here is that um, man is saying, God, hey, the time's up. You should have already come back. Since you haven't already come back, um, you're not keeping your word. And it's, he's just simply saying, look, God works time differently than man works time. And the, God, God doesn't have limitations on either side of it. You understand what I'm saying? That's what that is saying. So I don't think it's literally a thousand years he's saying. It's just God's not held back by the, the things of time as man is. Good questions. Yes. Very good. After he made man, he said it was very good. Yeah. A lot, lot of people say that was after Eve was made. He made the man and God said, I can do better than that. Then he made the woman. He goes, nah, now it's very good. 